The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Hey everyone, welcome to another issue of the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. I'm Steven, and this is your weekend edition, and I finally got my button gear and started lining up some interviews so we can bring that back to the weekend show. And if you've been following the Majorspoilers.com website, you know I went head over heels for Boom Studios' uh, new series, uh, Hunter's Fortune. Fantastic series, if you haven't read it. I, I, I tell you to pick it up right now. I'm, I'm telling you that ahead of time. So what I decided to do is get a hold of Boom Studios, say, hey guys, I like this so much. Can you hook me up with, with somebody involved? And they said, hey, why don't you check out Caleb Monroe? And so joining us today is Caleb. Caleb, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Stephen. So, Caleb, before we get into into Hunter's Fortune number one, uh, because it's a fantastic series, I've got to ask you a question. I went up to your website earlier, calebmonroe.com, mm-hmm. and I went under the biography section. Yes. Please tell me that that's an old picture of you. <laughs> it is. Um, it was taken last year. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to go kill myself. You are a young, young guy. That's a that's a pretty young picture of you. Uh, it, I I think I look a little younger than I am, um, or at least I get that from people. Um, I'm 30. No way. Yeah. No way. You look like a young 18-year-old or ready to graduate high school. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> I, was, I was 29 in the picture. Man, you must year. get carded all the time. I am jealous. I am so, so jealous. <laughs> it so, does happen. You, how long have you been writing uh, in, in comic book world? Um, I, I decided around when I was 20 that I wanted to write comics and okay. have been sort of working at it ever since, so about 10 years. Okay, when, uh, so you've got some other books on here that are not you know, miniseries or series-related, like single issues right. of Negative Burn and Red Chapel and Hack Slash. Is that when you first got into it? Was ten years ago, or when did you have some of your first published work that people would know about? Um, I think my first published story was eight or nine years ago, oh, and okay. it was um, it was in the back of a comic called Government Bodies, and it was just a five page backup story giving mm-hmm. a little more detail into the character, one of the characters, um, and I did that with an um, artist named Micah Gunnell, who mm-hmm. has since gone on to do a lot of books over Aspen mm-hmm. um, Studios, and but that was, you know, the very, very first one, and since then, there's just been little short stories here and there, some publications that were so microscopic that um, I didn't even put them on the website, oh, Okay, <laughs> and just, just constantly honing the craft, and um, I, I just recently sat down because I was thinking about doing an anthology of my shorter previous works. Mm-hmm. And there's over over 200 pages of short stories and and one shots and stuff that wow. I've done over those those 10 years, sort of building the chops and um, learning storytelling. So you've also done some short story work as well, some stuff that's not comic book related. Yeah, that's how I started in 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 high school, selling some short stories to uh, like science fiction, fantasy magazines, that sort of stuff. Oh, okay. Well, and I think then most people probably noticed your name when Boom Studios released The Remnant, that four-issue miniseries that came out, oh, was it la- earlier the last year, late last year? 
pulling into this year? It was, yeah, December 2008, and then three months into this year. Yeah, and the thing that probably got a lot of people's attention was the fact that Stephen Baldwin was attached to the series as well as as one of the creators of the series, and you are yeah. the scriptwriter on that. Now, this is kind of interesting because, to be honest, I thought the first three issues of the series were brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. It's the ending kind of fell flat for me, um, and okay. I think and I think it has to maybe do with with Stephen's, I guess, religious message that he was putting in there that I think maybe polarized some audiences. Um, can you go into that a little bit about, about how it was working with, with Stephen in, in developing the script for The Remnant? Absolutely. Um, it was definitely a, a polarizing sort of story, um, as you pointed out. Uh, but it, for me, it was it was really fun, and it was, um, it, it like you said, it was probably my first work of note that some people paid attention to, mm-hmm. you know, and... So that was that was very exciting, and um, working uh, with Stephen was um, Stephen's an awesome, awesome guy, and he's super enthusiastic mm-hmm. and uh, super imaginative. Just like he's one of those people, you start talking ideas, and he like he can't even um, stand still. You know right. what I mean? He's just right. sort of like bouncing up and down on his feet, and just very, very, very into the ideas. Um, so that was. Um, a lot of fun and very encouraging to work with someone who is that excited. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Especially on a first first project like that. Oh yeah. Um, a lot of the, um, but he was also very, um, he he very much knew that comics are kind of what we knew, mm-hmm. and not necessarily his area of expertise. Mm-hmm. So he um, he was very generous in just sort of letting me letting the guys at Boom sort of do the comics thing. Um, and, um, and, and he focused a lot on, um, the story and the concepts, but was very trusting with us in the execution. Okay. Um, so that was, it was actually, it was really, um, a, a blessing of sorts that I uh, got to work with someone who was so excited, mm-hmm. um, and, and had this sort of great hook high concept thing. But at the same time, I was given a, um, a lot of freedom to really um, sort of find my own voice. So that was really a fantastic first project for that reason. Well, and I think that maybe kind of dovetails into what's going on with Hunter's Fortune because in both The Remnant and Hunter's Fortune, you are the scriptwriter. You're not the person that came up with the story or the idea. How does that work? I mean, in Hunter's Fortune, you're working with Andrew Cosby, uh, one of the founders of, of Boom, and... So, I mean, I'm sure he knows a lot about comic books, so there's a lot of back and forth, I'm sure, going on between you. But how does it work where you become the scriptwriter of the story, but it's actually something that developed by somebody else? Um, that's a very good question. And it's um, in uh, Andrew Cosby also, he um, helped Baldwin turn his ideas into a, a, a treatment of sorts that I was launched from on the remnant. Ah, okay. So... Um, I had I had the the experience of um, of having worked with him on the remnant too, and um, so this particular project was a project that an idea that he had had for a little while, mm-hmm. um, and uh, th- they decided it was time to turn it into a book. And uh, Matt Gagnon, who is managing editor at Boom, but he was my editor on Remnant. Um, this he had this project on his desk, came to me, they had liked what I did on Remnant and said, mm-hmm. We'd love for you to do this story too. And he 
basically with a single sentence was able to catch my attention. Oh, cool. And that's, that's really one, and one of the things that, um, Andrew Cosby is so gifted at is the hook and the right. high concept. So when, then what's um, the hook, what's the hook that got you? <laughs> the hook that got me. Um, and, uh, I, I don't, I, I kind of disapprove of this method of selling it in public, but okay. it was a very quick shorthand manner that the editor was able to get me. Uh-huh. Um, and that is, that is the, it's like this plus this formula. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> and, and so, so Matt came to me and said, it's like Indiana Jones plus Chuck. Oh, and, okay. um, and that caught my attention. I was like, that's interesting. I, 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 I definitely can, can have some fun with that. Um, and so I get like a detailed treatment from Andrew and then based on that, I create a breakdown over the four issues and then get feedback from Andrew, get feedback from, mm-hmm. uh, the editors. In this case, my editor is Bryce Carlson right. over at Boom. Mm-hmm. And, and then based on that feedback, keep honing the, the, um, sort of four issue breakdown and sort of getting that to us. But once we have that to a, a state where we're all, um, uh, Cosby has, has, um, had his say and, you know, and it's based on his ideas and we've reached a point where the mm-hmm. force you break down, everybody's happy with that and the editorial likes it. Um, and then at that point, we pretty much have covered all the broad strokes and, and then I'm, I'm given free reign to sort of just go in ah, there and okay. turn that breakdown into a script to, to breathe life into the characters. And of course, everything goes back through editorial, goes back through Andrew, but I, um, just like the remnant, I've been blessed and, and that, um, the guys at Boom have been liking what I've been doing and, and, um, and have, so I've continued to be able to have, um, a lot of fun and a lot of creative freedom doing it. Oh, that's very cool. So when Andrew develops, uh, develops the treatment and it's handed off to you, are we talking about, a five-page treatment? Are we talking about an eighty-page treatment? I mean, how many pages does the does the treatment <laughs> um, cover, or is it just a simple paragraph? It is. It, it is. I think this one was probably about ten pages. Hmm, okay. Um, I I don't know for sure um, right now because I don't have it in front of me. But it was you know it was pretty substantial, and mm-hmm. it um it 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 reads a lot like kind of uh, um a treatment or pitch document, I guess that you would see for a television show. Right. Um, which is, you know, Andrew's got a background in TV, mm-hmm. co-creator of Eureka and all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, so it's, there's, he manages to really put enough ideas in there to, to launch so many stories to come, you know? Um, like I said, he's just, he's so, gifted at that that hook that high concept and and those powerful ideas and he can just stick a sentence in the treatment and you're like wow i could do a mini series with that one <laughs> oh yeah 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 so the interesting thing then comes again as i'm trying to and i'm sure our listeners are kind of interested in the writer's perspective of how this is developed when you're doing your own stuff you have complete freedom to do whatever you want however you want but in this right. kind of a situation with both the remnant and hunter's fortune you're kind of writing to something that's been given to you. Here's the roadmap. Make sure that we get from point A to point B to point C. Are you still able to throw mm-hmm. in a lot of your own creative concepts and ideas into this? I am. It is um it's it's an interesting balance and I think it's I think it actually can be a really good 
thing for uh, sort of a up and coming writer like myself to be working on other ideas mm-hmm. and to sort of have that editorial oversight for for a first couple projects like this uh, because it takes you out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and uh, you know there's things that I'm doing in in Hunter's Fortune and things that I did in Remnant that aren't that they don't fit necessarily with my own natural instincts. Ah, and okay. and if if it was a book of my own, I probably may not have have gone there with with the story or with the characters or with the situation or the concept. Mm-hmm. But learning to go into this sort of foreign concept and and bring my own sensibility to it and and, and essentially really stretch myself as a writer um, has given me a lot more confidence. I um, after doing Remnant, I, you know, there were some things that I was trying to really wrap my head around on this. We were doing a number of rewrites as I was trying to get just the right tone, just the right pitch, just the right, you know, sense of characters. And it was a, there's always times in the writing process when it gets a little frustrating because you, you want your first draft to be perfect. Right. And of course it never is. Right, right. <laughs> and despite the fact that it never is, there's still that part of you that's like one of these days, one of these days I'm just going to write it and it's going to be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, so there's always some frustration in that, but I think, I think ultimately having to stretch myself and learn to be comfortable in, in situations or scenarios that I would, that would, would come naturally to me mm-hmm. have, made me a better writer. So oh. that's been a really interesting process to go through. Then what is the length of time then that was spent from the time that you were brought onto the po- project until this first issue hit two weeks ago, last week, week and a half ago, I guess? I started working on the breakdown in June. Oh, okay. Um, and, and wrote the first issue in June as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, let's see, June, July, August, you know, uh, yeah, about, about six months, five months. Five months, yeah. Five months from when I started to when the first issue hit stand. So, and of course, that's one of the brilliant and awesome things about comics. Right. Is that you can start something and five months later, it's in people's hands. Oh, yeah. You know, there's there's almost no other medium where that applies, you know, except for maybe web comics or, or, or writing short fiction for the web or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um it can be even more immediate, but but as far as printed objects, um, that's about as fast as it comes, you know. Oh yeah, I I agree. I think it's I think it's so cool that it's it's that short of a process. So let's yeah. talk about Hunter's Fortune just a little bit. Okay. Or a lot of it. I don't care. Uh, this <laughs> this is like, and you and I are around the same age. I'm I'm about eight nine years older than you. Um, okay. But this brings back so many great memories of things that I had as a kid, and I'm sure a lot of the readers that are reading this series, it brings back that sense of an adventure of, you know, what if. Right. Can you talk a little bit about about that and, and how that works or doesn't work in, in this series? Um, yeah, it's it was... In a sense, Hunter's Fortune is, a, is that wish fulfillment scenario. Mm-hmm. It's like, what if something happened that would totally change my life for the better. Like in this case, inheriting $650 million. Right, right. <laughs> you know, there's a part of you that's always thinks like, um, I always, I don't really buy lottery tickets that often, but every now and then when I, when I do, it's, it's almost, it's almost more so that I can, for a few days until I find out what the results are, 
can Im- imagine with yes. a little bit of reality what I would do with it exactly. than it is it is for the actual like mm-hmm. the actual part of me thinking mathematically like oh yeah this will work mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know it's like an excuse to imagine and how much fortune is that same thing it's an excuse to imagine what would I do if I was in this situation and um, I, I think all of us can identify with with that, that yeah impulse. on some on some what level happen? yeah. But then also there's a part of us that we wants it to be fun too. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Not like what if I inherited six hundred fifty million dollars and then I had to go through probate court and oh, then yeah. I had to worry about my investments and the taxes would be a real bitch and <laughs> you know what I mean? No, none of us wants to go there and right. so making it an adventure and making him have to do have have a second wish fulfillment in a sense and having to be this kind of Indiana Jones character and have to discover this treasure that no one has ever been able to discover and and to for that to be the key that unlocks the treasure for him it's it's like wish fulfillment on top of wish fulfillment which i think just makes it really fun well and you really you picked a or i guess andrew picked a huge I don't want to say MacGuffin because it is actually a physical item that he has to obtain by the end of the series, but to find Excalibur, King Arthur's sword, that's kind of like, you know, the first Indiana Jones movie. You're going to go out and find the the lost <laughs> Ark of the Covenant. I mean, that's exactly. a, that's got to be a pretty big uh, task to jump on board as both a writer and, you know, making the story somewhat believable. Yeah, yeah. it was, um, it took a lot of research. Uh, you know, more research on this than anything I've ever done before. Mm-hmm. Trying to find all the legends that I could about the sword and, and sort of reading about all the characters, all the uh, Arthurian legends, how it changed over the years, and just trying to really, really, really dig into the facts and find those obscure trails that lead to some very interesting situations for our and obstacles and clues to follow for our characters, but at the same time are, are based in some reality, you know, mm-hmm. um, and have that, that sense of authenticity. And, um, so there was a lot, a lot of research, but, uh, even the research ended up becoming fun. And I, I ended up reaching my own conclusion about where Arthur's final battle was oh, cool. and where the legendary Avalon was and, and the lady in the lake and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and then I got to put all of that into the comic, you know. So is this your then? I guess then uh, the answer of your theory is in the book, or did you go a different direction on that? Um, the answer to my theory, location-wise, is in the book. Oh, okay. Um, it's, uh, well, we don't want to give reality, anything away. The reality has been enhanced a little bit for um, for the sake of the adventure. But oh, okay. Right. Uh, then, but yes, it is all in there. Okay, well, we don't want to give anything away just yet because, man, I'm having already too much fun off the first issue, and I want to read the other four, uh, or the other three. This is a four-issue miniseries, which in itself I was, after I read the first issue, I, I emailed Chip Mosier, who's the um, PR guy over at Boom Studios, and I said, Chip, please tell me that there's a sequel to this uh, around the corner, and he's like, no, I'm sorry, this is only a four-issue miniseries. Have, right. you be- have you begged and pleaded to say, come on, there's more adventures <laughs> That's that that are ahead for these guys. There definitely are more adventures, and I think um, I think the power of whether it's a sequel really is in your hands and the hands of the people that are listening to this and the hands of people that are enjoying the book. Because um, you know, if enough people love Hunter's Fortune and jump on board, then then Boom is like, okay, well, people really loved this. 
then mm-hmm. we can give them a second one. And you see that happening with um, the unknown. The unknown, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is... just started a second. It was a forestry miniseries, but it's now in its second forestry miniseries. Obviously, I'm no Mark Wade, <laughs> <laughs> so so the chances of having that same appeal and and numbers and stuff are are less. But I I, I think that a lot of times as as readers, and I also work part time as a retailer, so I get to see this at the ground level. Right. Um, that that we don't realize our power, the power of our dollar in, in what we get to read down the road. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we're thinking about what we get to read this week, mm-hmm. um, but we're not thinking about, we're not thinking about books that we could be reading, seeing more of the stuff that we want to see and how our buying decisions now are affecting that. Right. You know, when, when people, a good example is after one more day, tons of people were complaining about how they didn't like Spider-Man anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they were all buying it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, the, and, and whether you're, if you're, you're complaining to me at the retail counter has no effect on whether this book is going to change. Mm-hmm. You're not buying it does. Um, or buy it. You know, uh, there's books that I really love that have gone away, like uh, Captain Britain was a recent example. Yes. Because not enough people were buying it, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so... So the power is in your hands, readers. <laughs> Did you hear that, everybody? Go out and buy Hunter's Fortune number one. Now, Boom does give us access to early advanced um, previews and review copies of these books, which is why I had this a, a week earlier than a lot of other people. But I still make it a point, right. listeners, to go out and buy copies of these books. I have almost everything that Boom has published simply because I want to support the company and I want to support some of these titles just like Hunter's Fortune. Right. So you need to go, I don't know if how much contact you have and feedback you have within the company, but you need to go up to Mark Wade's desk and, and knock on his door <laughs> and say, come on, we need more of this stuff. And I think readers will respond in a positive light to that. And I, and I will say that's one of the reasons that I love working with Boom is that they, um, they are really about making good books that people mm-hmm. enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, not to say that other companies intentionally don't do that, but there is just a real enthusiasm at the boom offices, at the boom tables, at the cons, and and just as you just realize, like every single one of these people is here because they love comics. Not only yeah. that, they love good comics. Yeah. And um, that for me, I mean, having two projects now with Boom, uh, it's just been a, a really amazing um, chance, you know. Oh yeah. Um, let me ask you about a couple of things specific to the first issue. Go ahead. Uh, Hunter's, um, his uncle, what is his, his name? Um, not Percival. Max, 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 Max Fortune. <laughs> See, uh, that's, that in itself is kind of a, a, a joke. Why was it determined $650 million? Why not, you know, a hundred, you know, a hundred million or a billion or, you know, some nice, semi-even number is there a is there a point behind that number um well this is this is a case of pulling back the curtain and realizing that the wizard is a a slightly normal nebbish man Ah, okay (laughs) and that and that was as i was writing the script itself it came time for me to say a dollar amount in the dialogue Mm -hmm. and and i picked one okay that was just (laughs) i was like i was like something something like really impressive, um, something that 
would motivate all these characters, the good and the bad, to be right. making the choices that they're making. Right. Uh, all of that, and something that's also kind of fantastic and a little hard to believe. Um, uh, and and that was just sort of a, a, the first number that came to mind. <laughs> Can you give us a, a, a and if it if it spoils some of the things coming out in the next three issues, you don't have to give any away, but can you give us a little bit more backstory on, on uncle Max? And we know he's an archeologist, but the first scene that we were kind of introduced to the character, we're at his funeral. And of course there's some older people in the front row, but then surrounding them are a huge contingent of what I would imagine people from, uh, uh, the middle East, uh, are mm-hmm. all lined up. Uh, what's going on with that? <laughs> Well, those were um, actually in that funeral scene, pretty much all of those characters has a backstory um, mm. and stuff that may never get delved into in, in this mini series. But um, in the in Andrew's treatment, he had all of these characters, these various villains and allies and people who had been in Max's life. And wow. so we... Um, I, we put them all in that scene. So the, the Middle Eastern contingent there is a, uh, an older man who is a thief and his 40 sons who are also wow. thieves. Oh, cool. <laughs> that is cool. And, but, um, but so there's, but all of the, all those characters in that one panel. And of course that one panel is probably the only place where most of them are going to appear in this miniseries, but they all do have a history, you know? Well, see, that surprises me because here you spend all this time and maybe it's Andrew, maybe it's both of you spending all this time developing backstories and histories and doing all this research, and then they're there for one one panel, and that's it. Does that? Yeah, part of it when you're is when you're developing all this stuff. Uh huh. You're not quite sure um, because there's there's a there's the story that you plan, and then b there's the story that emerges. Mm-hmm. So when you're developing all this stuff, you're not quite sure that they aren't going to be used. And, um, and in fact, one of those characters in that panel, in my first draft of the breakdown, had a much more major role. Um, and, and came back in later issues. And, but just sort of as the story developed on its own, that just no longer fit. It just didn't feel right to have that. It was, it was, it was interesting, but it was weird and tacked on because the story had grown beyond that situation. Oh, okay. Um, so a lot of these characters, it wasn't that they intentionally didn't get used. It's just as the story sort of grew up and into its own, it it started dictating like these characters are important. These are interesting, but they're 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 not for for me. You know? Oh, okay, all right. So in your original draft, I mean, you were talking about how things get changed so much from the original mm-hmm. draft to what's finally in the printed page. How much of it stuck around? How much did you have to give up? How much changed? Um, well, as far as the scripting is concerned, there's not a lot of change. Uh, my first draft of the script is, is very similar to what we see in the, in the pages of Hunter's Fortune that came out last week. Okay. The breakdown, uh, and that's why I do the breakdown stage at the beginning before the script, is because it's a lot shorter than the script. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, it's about a full page single space of prose per issue. Oh, okay. Sort of outlining all the details. At least that's how I do it. Everyone Mm -hmm. does it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, That changes a lot as, as, you know, by the time I get to the fourth issue of the breakdown, a lot of times it's already I have to go back and change a lot of what happened in the first issue of the breakdown. So that's the stage when nothing is set in stone. 
lots of things get changed. That's the stage when the most feedback is coming um, from collaborators, uh, from from editors, as as we all are just trying to make sure that we get um, like we have the concept. Now let's let's get the execution right because that's very important. Mm-hmm. And and then once that is sort of set in stone, then off to script. Um, now the the one exception to that is the fourth issue of the breakdown um, is almost always pretty different from right. the fourth issue of the script because in writing the script these characters sort of develop their own voices scenes develop their own pace uh, I realize scenes need to be there that I never considered in the breakdown or don't need to be there and uh, so issues one two and three very close to us in the breakdown but we ended up making a lot of changes to the fourth one as as things that just came out in the script needed to be concluded differently I see so I guess uh, you're hopefully not being arrested there in the in the background. <laughs> no, I'm actually um, I'm near a fire station. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's got to be annoying <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, what about the the great art by Matt? What's his name? Cosin. Mm-hmm. Matt Cosin. Cosin. Oh man, that yeah. just it just rang out really well in this series. It's kind of it's very animated in itself. Mm-hmm. And it just it flows from panel to panel. I just love that. What it's, kind of? Um, go ahead. What I was going to say, what kind of involvement do you have with Matt in the art direction or the in the layouts of the page? I uh, I probably could have more involvement than I do, but because Matt is so good at what he does, I pretty much stay out of his business. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Um, and, and I send him the script, and, and I, I write in full script. So it says, mm-hmm. panel one, we see this, and the dialogue and sound effects. Panel two, we see this, and any dialogue sound effects, you know, on through. Um, but once it's in his hands, um, I, I pretty much step away. I make myself completely available for questions mm-hmm. and interpretations. Mm-hmm. You know, if he comes across things that need to like, well, I'm not quite sure what you're going for here, or what if we did this instead? Uh, I like to be available for that, but um, uh, one of the advantages of collaboration is being able to rely on strengths of people that are stronger than your strength in that area. Right. And um, as cool as the page layout may look in my head, um, Matt usually uh, goes much better. <laughs> um, that's his real strength is that visual and, the, and those layouts and those characters and their expressions. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and it depends, it's different with every artist, but, uh, but Matt is extremely capable. And so I pretty much try to stay out of the way. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and that is another reason that I love working with boom is, is twice now they've paired me with really amazing artists. Oh yeah. Was, um, uh, Tedesco on the, on the remnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did a great, he did a great job there too. And it, it, it was even a, like a year ago, or maybe even more, a year and a half ago, Matt Cosman did a couple stories in Zombie Tales. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it was the first or the second one of those. When it came out, I, I was talking to my boom editor that week. And I was sweating him for Matt's contact information. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, this guy is awesome. This guy is, I've got to work with him. You know, do you guys have 
anything planned for him right now. Maybe I can get his email. We can just do a short story. I won't mess up any plans. You, guys. Oh, cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just sweating yeah. him hard, and and he was like, I was like, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, there's plans. And um, so then when I got that email, because I had I had started working on the general. Uh, started thinking about the book and sort of making some general notes and doing a little research before um, I, I I knew who the artist was going to be. And when I got that email, I'm like, your art, artist is going to be Matt Cosson. I just like did a dance in my office. I'm like, Excellent. I'm like oh, I, was, I wanted to work with him so bad. And now I get to for a full four issue miniseries. Yeah. So uh, that's been really exciting. Well, you know, everybody writes their scripts differently. And some people approach their scripts just like a full film script where they go in and they will say, I need a extreme wide shot of the um, Hunter Castle or here's what needs to specifically be in this shot of, you know, the uh, of of the funeral or this uh, shot needs to be a, a hip shot so that we can see from the back of of the assistant to, you know, uh, the character sitting on the stoop or something like that. Do you go into detail like that or is it like, you know person exit car in this shot we need to see the people sitting on the on the stoop um it's a it's a combination really and i try to uh i i've been a lot looser and a lot more fluid in this script than i have in any of my scripts before so Mm -hmm. it's a constantly evolving process um but i try to limit what i'm saying and Sometimes that means a big giant paragraph, <laughs> right. but I try to limit what I'm saying in the script to things that are important from a storytelling standpoint. If, if, if we're in a situation where whether the shot is a wide shot or a medium shot mm-hmm. is more of an uh, sort of an artistic or visual judgment and is not going to affect the story per se, mm-hmm. um, then I try to leave that to the artist and try to get simple and there's a and also it depends on on the artist um Mm -hmm. uh, with matt you know a lot of my panel descriptions are a single sentence and sometimes just a few words you know um because i i've i've seen what he can do and and i'm confident that he's got it um uh, or, or there will be times when um, I, I try to put a little bit more in there. Uh, for instance, Julian, the artist on the remnant, um, English is a second language for him. So right. there's times when I would try to be, I would try to be more clear. And and there was a few things that he would ask me to clarify, but by and large, um, uh, this the same thing. Uh, I would I would try to approach it a little bit differently in my writing, but then just. Again, he was such a uh, talented and capable artist to, to leave the execution to him. So there's sometimes there's there is a there's a scene in in the next issue coming up mm-hmm. where I didn't break it down by panel at all, even though I was doing full script for the rest of the issue. There was a particular scene where the the dialogue needed to happen, but as far as where that dialogue took place and and how it was shot and stuff, um, I I. I I basically just said, Matt, we need a page where they do this dialogue. It's got to happen sometime between when they left the location A and when they get to location B. Do it however you like. Oh, cool. All um, right. So, and and also, I've, I felt a lot more comfortable doing that after I had seen what he had done with those first pages of that first issue. I was like, okay, he really gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have to 
I, you know, I can loosen up. Right. Because uh, he, he understands. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So have you heard any feedback? I mean, certainly you've probably read reviews that people have written about the book. Have you heard anything about sales numbers or whether the first issue sold out or anything like that? I haven't. Okay. Um, I uh, eventually I, I I will um, probably inquire after of that, but um, at this stage when I'm still just the book is new and still trying to promote it and mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff, I I try not to focus too much on on numbers and right. more on um, just sort of connecting with the fan base there is, whether it be a hundred people or a thousand people or 10,000 people. And uh, it just makes it easier for me um, at this point in the process, not to worry about that. So. Okay. Well, I didn't know if that played any impact or had any impact on a next project or another project that you might be working on or not working on at this point. Well, I will definitely, and that's, um, after the project has sort of run its course, mm-hmm. um, or at least that was um, the case with Remnant, after the project ran the course, then I talked to my editor and I was like, actually, it was when we started working on Hunter's Fortune, to, just to get an idea of how Remnant had done in the marketplace. Ah, okay. Um, and so then I could set some goals for Hunter's Fortune and try to take a step up from that, try, for each project just to be a step up. So give us give give um, me an example. For more people to give me an example, an example of what you did to improve yourself in in this in this book. Um, are you are you talking about as far as just reaching people or? Creatively? Well, you said that you wanted to bring something more to each new book that you worked on based on the right. last one. So I want to know what what did you do on this one that is above what you did with the remnant? Uh, well, I think. Uh, there's kind of two paths there. One is the, is the sort of the business path and making people aware of it. Mm-hmm. And what I did this time that I didn't before is is we really worked on having a completed um, preview PDF, not the entire first issue, but a good chunk of it that right. we could send to retailers when the book was still in previews. Ah, okay. Um, and and making calls to retailers, talking to them about the book. Mm-hmm. Sending them the PDF, so that that is that's a whole state, level of things that I, I hadn't done with Remnant, oh, okay. um, and so just learning to do that, and then at the same time also creatively just learning to be a little more comfortable in my own skin, trust my instincts to um, to to be able to tell myself, hey, you know what, you just did this with the Remnant and it worked, so you know you can do it, so. Um, so don't be afraid to try some different things. So I I. I Creatively, I just decided to try some things to to sort of get away a little from the page of stanza approach, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though that's still that's still evident in my work. But to not be afraid to cut scenes in the middle of a page, oh, okay. um, uh, to, to 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 maybe jump into scenes later than I would have before, and just to, to experiment with it and try to um, uh, try to cut out anything that's um, not fun and to make even the explanatory or research parts fun and to really uh, focus on making the interactions really enjoyable um, for everybody. So you don't have uh, any other projects coming down the pipe with, with boom at this point? Um, Not at this point. Okay. Listeners, once again, Hunter's fortune, number one, go out and buy it. You will like it. I promise you that. (laughs) 
let's uh, let's get this issue sold out in this next week, this first one in the next week, and make sure that the uh, the demand keeps on growing because this is such a fun book. I can't tell you how many times that this that this just makes me giddy. It was the book that I. It wasn't the top of my stack when I when I picked it up, but as soon as I was finished reading it, I wanted to read it again and again and again. It just had me so giddy with happiness over how good the story is, meshed with the art, wrapped up in a modern-day treasure hunt. This is a fun story. Caleb? And super fun to make, so I'm really glad that you... <laughs> I'm really glad that you reacted to it that way because you know there's always that fear like boy i'm really having fun but <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah is anyone else going to when it's out there in the world right so caleb you've shared some of your thoughts on on what's happened to you over these 10 years and how you've gone from you know independent stuff to remnant and to the hunter's fortune what are some tips that you might give to aspiring writers uh when they're when they're just starting out if you could go um, back in time and give yourself advice 10 years ago what would you have told yourself um, it's actually, it's a, I, I, I would give you a, a pretty simple formula, but it's not exactly simple to execute, if that makes any sense. Okay. <laughs> it's very easy to grasp the concepts. And the idea is, number one, meet as, as many kindred comics souls as possible. And whether mm-hmm. that's um, fellow creators or, or the interns in the offices or fellow readers, um, artists, fellow writers, any any of that. Just make friends. Have fun with it. Remember why you're trying to get into comics. Right. Because you enjoy them. Number two, make as much as you can. Even if you're making short stories that are just going up on the website or whatever, make something that people can read as a comic, whether it's a mini comic, a web comic, a, a self-published, or you find a publisher or an anthology to put something in. Constantly be making something. And then constantly make sure that all those stories that you're writing are being read by all those friends that you're making in the first step. <laughs> okay. And and then step number three is just um, be patient, <laughs> because yeah. eventually those out of all out of those friends that you make, there will be someone who will have a chance to give you an opportunity, and they will be familiar with your work because you've been making it all this time, and they have read it, and they will believe that you're capable of the opportunity. And um, then there you have it, your open door. It's, um, it, you know, don't discriminate. The, it's, it's a very small industry and it's not uncommon at all for the shipping intern at so-and-so publisher this year to be like head story developer in two years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As people mm-hmm. move about, get promoted, show that they're good. It's, you know, so uh, don't discriminate. That guy who may seem like nothing at the company now that, you really click with um, could be the guy who's given you work in a couple of years. So um, just keep making stuff, keep making friends and make sure that all your friends are reading what you're making. Because again, it's a, it's a pretty small industry. Yeah. And um, it, it's uh, uh, you'll constantly be running. If you're doing that, you're constantly running into people, even people that you may not know yet who are familiar with your work. Mm-hmm. and um, which is uh, always a good place to be in as a creator. Some excellent advice. Caleb, I want to thank you for your time. I know you're busy, um, but I really want to thank you for coming on the show, talking about Hunter's Fortune number 1 in stores now, hopefully not for too much longer because it'll be sold out. Um, Let's get that second printing, people. 
Yes, let's do that. <laughs> so, Caleb, I want to, again, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to talk with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I've really enjoyed it, Stephen. Excellent. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us and downloading this episode, and please share it with everybody else. Don't forget, next week, we've got episode 150. Man, I can't wait for that. So until next time, I'm Stephen Schleicher. Remember, we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge hands Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Stark raving rich like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a gang sign throwing soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.